Hello and welcome to the Future of Australia podcast. Here I interview the entrepreneurs running the fastest growing businesses in Australia. These interviews will be around the themes of entrepreneurship, new ideas, business, innovation, capitalism and successful enterprise being the motor that will drive Australia forward. I will be telling the stories of the people who are making it possible and as they grow and strive further will become a bigger and bigger part of Australia's future. My name is Derek Stewart, your host and the founder of Future of Australia. Check us out at futureofaustralia.com to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter, get exclusive content and ensure you never miss an episode. For questions or comments, email me at derek, D-E-R-E-K, at futureofaustralia.com or you can call or text me on 0404-689-897. Welcome to episode 15 of the Future of Australia podcast and the start of season 2. In this episode, I interview John Bonwick and Scott Thompson, the co-founders and co-CEOs of BRMM, a media and marketing solutions agency that grew 52% last financial year to do 1.58 million in annual revenue. We discuss how two middle school friends took decades of international experience across large ad agencies, media companies and radio jobs into a business. Filling a niche for their clients seeking effective solutions in the rapidly changing media and advertising landscape. We cover how they built the company, handled rapid growth and hiring, the changes they see and the focus on driving change and constant improvement through insights. If you are looking to solve business challenges through media, marketing, technology and strategy, check out brmm.com.au. That's brmm.com.au. So I'm here with John Bonwick and Scott Thompson, the co-founders and owners of BRMM. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks, Terry. Thank you for having us. Yeah, appreciate it. All right. So, can you both describe what were you doing before you started BRMM? You know, what did you study? What types of companies did you work in, and doing what roles? Uh, John, here I'll, I'll, I'll kick off for you, mate. Um, look, my, my background uh, uh, for a couple of decades has been in the media industry. Uh, uh, long, long time in the media outlet space. So, working in radio and uh, TV. Uh, had a had a small stint uh, from an entrepreneurial approach with a with a, a cafe uh, uh, some time ago while still working the media side, but uh, uh, predominantly uh, media outlet side uh, from a sales perspective, and moved uh, you know, some time ago into the agency world. And uh, uh, you know, my background from a study perspective, studied hospitality and marketing, uh, and had a. Uh, uh, you know, had, a, had a view some time ago as well to obviously go out on our own and, uh, and, and have a crack. So some 25-plus years in media, uh, starting to get greyer uh, by the minute and Tomo or Scott sitting next to me is uh, getting bored by the minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, I mean, similar, similar to John in terms of advertising industry uh, background, but for me... I was on the creative side of the fence and uh, I began uh, my career uh, back at Saatchi and Saatchi back in the 90s, um, still the heady days of, of creative agency land uh, and that's where I really cut my teeth and uh, remained, you know, that side of the fence 
in the creative agency world leading clients uh, at a number of sort of, you know, a number of big shops uh, here and abroad, but, you know, Australian, Australian born, but worked overseas for quite a spell. Uh, and uh, then returned back to Australia. Funnily enough, what I found returning was the depth of the relationships that I'd forged actually sort of carried me into new environments and sticking with relationships with clients. I worked uh, in, in a number of different agencies, smaller agencies, but working on those major clients and, and sticking with those long-term partnerships. And so I really found uh, great reward in, in, in that side of the industry, uh, of the advertising world, but also recognised as technology advanced, the collision of both media uh, and the creative uh, world and how technology could actually fuel uh, faster interaction, better targeted interaction uh, with, with, with customers, with prospects, with interests, sort of has led us, led us to, I guess, the position we're in, in today. Okay. And what about the two of you? How did you first meet and, and get to know each other? Uh, we, we go back a few years, uh, 30 years. So we're, uh, uh, we're over 40, but uh, we actually uh, went to school together and uh, we'd led similar paths but not ever worked uh, with each other only until sort of the last five five years, um, but we've 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 travelled overseas uh, at similar times. Uh, worked in the UK. Uh, I worked in a, 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 a radio station over there called Talk Sport, which uh, uh, is one of the bigger radio networks over there. Uh, and Tomo was uh, working at uh, Sarchi's uh, at a similar time. Uh, but you know, we go back to. Uh, uh, our, our year seven starting school where we first first met and uh, you know we were fortunate enough to um, you know have, 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 have a great you know, mate amongst each other but uh, uh, definitely uh, we didn't really cross paths from a uh, working together until the last sort of five uh, and then in our own business in the last uh, three two and a half so it's uh, uh, I suppose fortunate we're, we're a bit yin and yang in the sense uh uh, his uh, attention to detail and uh, that covers up for my, my flaws, I think, mate. <laughs> uh, so uh, we've, we've been fortunate enough that uh, come together, I suppose, after all these years of in the same fields, mm. but uh, you know, not working together. Yeah, it's really been a case of, I mean, you know, over our working uh, lives, our friendship, we've both been on these parallel tracks side by side, but on different sides of the fence. Uh, so we've always had shared experience and, and shared uh, understanding and knowledge of, of the industry, uh, but from different perspectives. Um, but, you know, before that, I guess, you know, our, um, our friendship was, was formed from, a very, from very early days and, you know, that's built on values and beliefs and, and principles by which you want to lead your life. Uh, and, you know, it's taken us... Uh, it's you know a long period of time where we're operating in the, on these parallel tracks, but to bring those tracks together and recognise that in business and professionally, uh, those values, those principles, the beliefs by which we can lead the business, uh, can take us to some great places very quickly. 
Yeah, and, and so you both work in these professional careers in the similar industry, moving, you know, different areas and, and different roles. But was there a turning point or a moment that made you both want to sort of start out uh, to strike out on your own and start a, a business, something that triggered that? Yeah, I, I think the, the, our, our world's changed in particular from a smaller uh, media marketing business. And, and, and what, what, what's changed in our worlds have started colliding. And that is, uh, uh, you know, Tomo's world's been more focused around messaging and uh, what it looks like from a, an imagery perspective and what have you. But what's what's changed, and, we've, you know, we've got sayings on our walls, you know, insight leads change. And, um, you know, what's, what's come about is the, the, the media world, which is far more analytical uh, and understanding of what media is driving results, uh, well, it's not just about what media is driving results, it's what's message, what image. And so those worlds started colliding for us some, some time ago that we've only become, I believe, stronger in the sense of starting from starting the whole media marketing process right at the back of the core of, of what the client's problems are and, what, you know, that, and to where our, even our name came from. The BR actually stands for uh, Big Rocks and... and might have a bit of a connotation there, but uh, what are big rocks? We, we, one of the things we stand for is starting with your big challenges first. You know, um, you know there's that metaphor of the, the, the jar with, uh, you know, if you, if you put in the big rock first, then the, then the pebbles, then the sand and the water, you'll end up with a better solution than starting the other way around. Um, and, and, you know, what we do start with sitting down with our clients and understanding their problems. And, you know, some of their problems can be around the whole messaging and can even be further back down, the, you know, down the whole channel, the sales channel. So our world started colliding, uh, you know, much, much harder and faster that we needed, you know, I suppose from a media agency side and, you know, around spots and dots, which is what it used to be, is now more far focused on... Uh, uh, what what's the message in the right place at the right time to the right audience, and that's 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 where we've had to uh, I've had to understand his world better, and you know Tomo's had to understand the whole media and data and insights world uh, uh, to to make sure that he's delivering that right message. Yeah. I mean, and to that point, you know, that data and the technology as that's developed and evolved so quickly. Uh, you know, in recent years, in the last 10 years, we've seen a ridiculous rate of change and uh, information that you can leverage. That enables and empowers you to be far more effective with the delivery of your message. You can be far sharper and far more, more pointed and target uh, your communications and the work that you're doing on behalf of your clients in a better way. So um, that makes the message that much more important because it's got to be precise, it's got to be feeling like it's uh, meaningful in its delivery. Uh, but the power of data and the power of technology to deliver that is has been mind-blowing and it's been super exciting to hunt. Um, it's equally, uh, it, it uh, can really sort of you know, push your boundaries and, and uh, push the limits of resource but it's fundamentally important because what it can achieve for your clients in terms of return on their investment, in terms of traction with launching and delivering new products to market, of growing uh, an engaged customer base 
uh, and a loyal customer base and building equity for those businesses uh, is so important uh, and it's so exciting for us. And, and that's sort of yeah, really how it's come together. So you saw a gap where the agencies weren't providing the level of service that they could based on the new technologies and new understanding and that's where you saw these clients aren't being served as well as they could or they're not getting the best results that they could from their media spend and that is that where you saw the opportunity to sort of provide that service or, or to improve that um, that level of media effectiveness? Yeah, I mean, two, two things on that. One, uh, laziness. Um, yeah, there's part of human nature which drives people to, to find it to, to go towards what's the easy solution. Um, you know, we're driven and pretty ambitious uh, as people uh, to challenge ourselves uh, to pursue what's the best and work hard to get there. The second thing is that um, the, the, the quality of message. Uh, and you, you might have had pockets of expertise in the industry and, you know, thinking competitively about uh, other businesses that, that do operate in this space, and they might be experts in one particular silo or one particular aspect, but they've got a blunt instrument in terms of the message that they're applying uh, to it, and so it's wasted. All that talent goes unrealised. And vice versa, you might have some fantastic messaging and, and fantastic strategy uh, behind uh, creative ideas, but if it's not actually fueled with quality skill in terms of leveraging that data, planning that, uh, the, the right mediums, the right uh, avenues to deliver it, uh, it goes, that message goes unheard. So um, that's something that, um, funnily enough, going back to our original story, we operated and had such a wealth of experience in these two parallel tracks and parallel universes in, 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 the, in the industry, actually colliding that underpinned by those values of, of restlessness to, to challenge one another, to challenge the business, to challenge preconceived norms and expectations in the industry far surpass and, you know, and it has been a real catalyst for our, our rapid growth and the strength of our relationships that we've forged with our clients. So that was really where we went. We see people in pockets delivering quality, but what we don't see is it actually being orchestrated and brought together really, really well. And so you had these skills, you had the decades of experience, the decades of friendship and sort of shared values and then once you, you pull the trigger and you start your own business, what was that first 12 months like um, You know, compared to your expectations and just the reality of being under your own umbrella and brand rather than working for big agencies and in big organisations? Uh, the first 12 months uh, in any startup is always interesting because you do jobs that you were not doing before and you take on uh, responsibilities that you didn't have before and not only are you uh, responsible for many millions of dollars uh, of clients money in spending and what have you in different channels, but you are then responsible for putting on staff uh, at the right time and making sure that uh, you are responsible in making sure that they are paid uh, and uh, remunerated on the, you know, payday every month. You know, that's a responsibility that we, you know, that's, that's pretty important. Uh, you, you deliver on those promises for both client and staff. So, you know, 
you know, you, you, you just you, you start wearing different hats. You know, you become HR, you become OH&S, you become, you know, all these various things. You, you, you weren't or you never were inside a big business. Um, and funny enough, they're the, they're the challenges that I think that you enjoy, uh, you know, in a small startup that uh, grows pretty quickly uh, to, to, you know, Make it makes it all worthwhile when you've got a great team around you that you're proud of, that you can go out for a beer with on a Friday night, you can go and have a function with them on Melbourne Cup Day or whatever recently, and you know you can have a great day, and they're not only work colleagues but you can also call them friends as well. So they're the, they the, the challenges that you you have up front. So there's thousands and thousands of others, um, but you know I think the, the responsibility that uh, you take on, you need to do it and be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, yeah, I'm prepared to take this on and I'm going to throw everything at it uh, and, and and not look back and continue to throw everything at it. And In lots of ways, you're trying to ask your team and everyone around you to do the same thing. They've probably not got the same investment levels that uh, uh, you know the, the, the shareholders in a business do, but... You know, you're certainly striving to set that example that they want to as well. I mean, yeah, and, and, and with that, uh, in that first 12 months, probably another thing to add is um, the importance you, you discover very, very quickly is sort of active listening. And that's active listening to how people start to perceive your brand. It's actively listening and seeing how people actually understand your proposition and taking those learnings on board really quickly and applying, applying them. Um, so, you know, I look back at our first press deck and it has developed incredibly over that period from the way we first introduced ourselves, the way we first pitched ourselves to clients and prospects uh, to how we've developed. The principles and the foundations uh, don't change, but the uh, depth and the quality and the richness around it is what's, what rapidly accelerates and actively listening to the market and responding properly uh, it was, you know, was a real key part of, of those first 12 months. Uh, and the other bit is not assuming. It's pretty easy to, you know, if you're in a big environment and, and uh, you know, protected by uh, a, a corporate ship, to, to make some assumptions, to probably operate with some arrogance uh, and uh, perhaps not listen as well as you, as you should or could uh, to a client's situation, what their ambitions are. Uh, the importance in that first 12 months, you know, you discover really, really quickly is, is how critical it is not to assume anything but to go to the depths to find, you know, to clearly define a problem to therefore powerfully lead a client where they they see trust, even though you might be fairly new as a brand, trust in the expertise and the experience of the business that you're building around you. 
Yeah, and so you've mentioned obviously the the better listening, better messaging, um, better sort of focus on your clients and their results. And um, you, you grew fifty two percent last financial year, and and doing nearly one point six million in revenue. So obviously, getting really strong momentum behind you, and becoming one of the fastest growing new businesses in Australia. So, was there anything else that helped drive this sort of rapid growth, or anything that changed in the business as a result of this growth? Um, there's, there's always uh, uh, room for improvement in anything you do, and I think that's one thing we're good at is we're always striving for improvement. But one thing that we've done very well in the last 18 months is uh, our approach to winning new business. We've not actually gone out and... Uh, physically knocked on doors, which obviously many do in this space, but referral and finding out who you, uh, you, you, you not your friends, but you, I suppose allies that believe in you in terms of your offering. One of, one of our best referrals uh, or referees is actually a client, of the, a client of the business and he's now referred three or four different other pieces of business into, in, into, the, into, into BRLM over the last sort of six to nine months because there's a, an element of belief that he knows that what we're doing for him in one area, he knows that that's what we could be doing for, uh, you know, other, other colleagues or friends in others. So I think one, one thing we've done very well over the last uh, you know, two and a half years, three years is now um, uh, not lost clients in the sense of, you know, we've not had to replenish, replenish the funnel. Um, yeah, but we've managed to grow organically uh, and keep existing um, uh, business. And, you know, my, my saying to clients is when particularly you're talking to them initially is, you know, uh, if you're here year two, then we've done our job because it's, you know, there's lots of different businesses out there doing sort of similar things to us. But, you know, if you're back year two, we've done something right and, uh, uh, you know, we're obviously achieving uh, the, the outcomes that uh, we set out to achieve in the initial 12 months. So I think in summary, you know, belief, belief in yourself and others believing in you is uh, paramount. I think you do find out uh, in your initial 12 months of who, who your allies are and people that believe in you that want to help you along your way. You know, it, it, nothing, nothing comes easy, but I'll tell you what, if you can get a little bit of a... Uh, help along the way, um, you know, it's a, a advice, it's, uh, you know, just some direction, it's sitting down having a coffee with someone that's, you know, been in a similar boat that you can get some uh, some leadership or mentoring from, you know, I recommend it for anyone that wants to uh, uh, start up uh, uh, any sort of business. So did you find that you, as again, your clients built more trust in you and, and referred similar businesses? Was there a particular industry or media type or service of yours that resonated most in the marketplace? We've, we've had a, a punch on for uh, sporting-based clients over the journey. I mean, my background uh, initially uh, was a Channel 10 working in sport uh, before sort of taking the leap of faith. Um, so, you know, I had a, had, a, had a background in sport and a lot of contacts in that space, but, you know, diff- different verticals have come in, you know, different, different retail types of clients, um, but, you know, we've got clients such as ASICS, we work with 3M on a range of, range of their brands, 
um, you know, Haribo lollies. Uh, we've recently picked up uh, uh, Dreamworld, uh, and uh, yeah, which is an interesting challenge in itself. But then we've got sporting clients like the Australian Turf Club, ASICS, um, Strix and Golf, and Cleveland Golf. Uh, yeah, so a, a real raft of uh, yeah, levels of uh, brands from you know smallish, but uh, you know household names. Yeah, no, definitely some fantastic uh, brands that you're working with. And, and what was the hardest part during the rapid growth? Like you said, more people are trusting you. You've gone through the early phase of wearing multiple hats and, and learning every side of the business. And then as you sort of have this success and growth and, and keeping the existing clients happy and onboarding new ones and hiring people, what were some of the biggest challenges in that sort of growth period? The, the, the biggest challenge... Uh that we faced is uh, hiring uh, the, the, the right people um, and at the right time. And uh, to, to, to make sure that your, your, your staff aren't overworked and, uh, uh, and bringing on new people as acquisitions uh, in terms of clients take place to make sure that, that you know, there's no burnout, that's really important. Um, but then obviously also to be... A, you know, we've also talked about you know, responsibility in business to make sure that you can take uh, on new people at the right time, and uh, you know, and business can afford these the, these types of uh, you know change to business. But the biggest, the biggest, you know, that's been the biggest uh, challenge in terms of uh, finding the right people and uh, you know the right fit and culture uh, is re- really really important to to any businesses. I'm sure everyone will tell you, but. Uh, that, that's that's been really tough. But then, as we've had growth, um, continuously evolve process uh, inside uh, your business to adapt to that growth uh, takes a hell of a lot of time and effort. Um, in particular, from our senior management within the business, that uh, you, know, you just can't make you can't make mistakes along the way because mistakes can be costly mm. um, and making sure the processes are picking up that if a mistake has been made you just hope to hell that it's not a biggie <laughs> uh, and uh, that you quickly adapt and uh, make change and put in better systems and uh, 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 that are going to pick those up before they happen I mean we spend a lot of money in technology for clients around um, reporting platforms. We, you know, we, we spend many, many tens of thousands of dollars around reporting platforms because that gives us the vision uh, and the transparency uh, for clients to be able to see what money we're spending and the results evolved from from, from that spend um, and, and research platforms and, and things like that. So, you know, it, it's it's the the cost. The cost as well in the MarTech space uh, is, is probably not getting cheaper. Um, it's getting more competitive. So, you know, our, one of our jobs for our clients in particular is uh, knowing all the, all the different MarTech platforms out there that deliver on what the requirements are for any particular client. But, you know, it's making sure that uh, uh, we continue to, you know, 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 know that stuff. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, they're the sort of challenges that, that we face. Um, yeah, there's one. Other, I mean, one other thing to add to that is also as, as you're growing and you're developing, is knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know. Uh, but in what you don't know, 
It's also having the confidence and the ability to help guide someone and a client towards that solution. And so, you know, part, part of that means you're leveraging your network, uh, but having a network, a broader network even beyond the walls of the business where you can bring in skill sets where uh, you don't have so specialised expertise in a particular technology platform, for instance, but that partner can work with you in an ecosystem with the client. You're still at the helm leading that, uh, but the engagement of that partner in that process, they share the same values to help get to the solution you need to with that particular client. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. So you sort of had an interesting overlap on, on your answers there, talking about obviously hiring and, and finding the right people as well as the sort of managed technology solutions and suppliers who it sounds like almost sitting within your business in order to extend your capabilities. Was there something that maybe you learned the hard way in terms of bringing on and finding the right staff and or suppliers that you sort of look for more carefully now or a way that you're able to, to get the right people in the right seats more effectively? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, you, you learn and, and constantly, but um, you know, one of the things that obviously in terms of fit and ideal character um, is, is confidence. Uh, but there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. And, uh, you know, and it's a really, it's a, it's a defining t- tipping point right there. Uh, you know, and, and we've, we've encouraged confidence but, uh, and always will because uh, it's, it's fundamentally important to explore thought, explore new avenues, new technologies, new ways of doing things better. Uh, but also, um, with that, uh, sometimes it can breed a arrogance, and uh, that's something that you need to monitor very, very closely, because arrogance can suddenly eat uh, away at someone's talent and obstruct it and cloud it and suddenly assumptions float in. Uh, their character is, is actually one of the, the uh, strongest and most important things that we have to keep an eye on and, and that we've learned. Yep, we've learned some hard lessons on that, uh, but the lessons are constructively applied in the way we develop and nurture the staff in the business but also seek uh, and bring on board new staff. And do you tend to get sort of younger people that are maybe quite good at the consumer tech and some of the online marketing and and you're sort of bringing them a more holistic sort of media and agency experience from your background or are you getting a lot of people that have similar backgrounds to yourselves with the big media and big agencies and you're bringing in that more senior level of expertise or sort of a mix of both? Yeah, a real variety. Look, I'll go back to the sayings, know what you know and know what you don't know, which is a big saying in here for in particular management because you've got to surround yourself with, you know, as I always say, you surround yourself with people smarter than yourself. Uh, you know, they're there to make you look good in lots of ways. So you're constantly, you know, we're, funny enough, we're looking at putting someone else on reasonably soon and he's not coming from the media or marketing background. He's coming from potentially the client relationship space mm-hmm. and a client relationship role and we believe that uh, uh, this skill set is the right time to bring that into the business for a particular role. Um, but 
uh, you know, dealt with large clients, yes, in a, in a marketing type forum, but certainly not media and creative or, you know, solutions based, which is something we pride ourselves on, uh, providing solutions. But, he, but this, he, he's the right type of calibre of person. So you constantly, you know, I think you've got to, our world, I think you've got to start looking further and further outside of the square. Um, you know, you look at the, the, the big guys, you know, the, the Deloitte's, the KPMG's of the world starting to get into this MarTech uh, marketing media space. Uh, you know, they, they've been renowned for being bean counters a bit like yourself, Derek, in your <laughs> early days. Uh, yeah, they, they're the ones that, uh, uh, you know, are now trying to get into this particular world because they realise, I think this is what they're doing, I think they realise it's another avenue uh, for, you know, to get their better understanding of the product and services of the businesses that they're working with to make a deeper relationship. So well, I actually think they're probably more of our competitors uh, down the track uh, than, uh, you know, the larger media agencies of the world or the larger creative agencies of the world. I think they're trying to provide a bit more of a holistic solution and talk about, you know, different technologies and how to implement different technologies inside businesses that are going to make them more efficient. So, you know, that's, they're, they're, I just don't think they're interested in the clients of our level, if that makes sense. Whilst our clients are of, uh, you know, uh, of large scale, I think they're, they're interested in the, uh, the Qantas and Coca-Colas of the world as opposed to, um, you know, small, smaller marketing budgets, so, you know, below $10 million. Yeah, and I think I saw an article recently saying something similar, sort of a, a management consultant, the, the new madmen, and talking about that um, convergence between the consulting world and the sort of marketing and agency world and how they're both, as things become more technical, more reporting, more analytical, more value-added advisory, they're sort of both competing almost in the same sort of space, but like I said, different size clients and budgets, but... Yeah, it's a definitely an interesting observation about the, the industry. And, and so speaking of that, we've mentioned marketing technologies, changes, changing behaviour, um, how people consume their news, their sport, their entertainment's obviously changed a huge amount with technology and you know, different traditional media. And you know, before the show, we were talking about radio and podcasts and other mediums. Sort of spending your time in this sort of world and, and going back, obviously, all your experience, what trends or predictions do you have about the future of sort of Australian media? Hmm. Great question. Yeah, good question. Look, there's obviously a um, yeah, Fox, Fox, Fox Sports came and launched out their new platform this week, or a week and a half ago, um, which is a streaming sports-based business, uh, twenty-five bucks a month. Uh, so, you know, there's there's certainly a uh, 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 what's the, I'm just trying to think of the right word. There's certainly a decrease in uh, what's going on in the the, the TV landscape. There's I, there's more and more opportunities for people to get their content the way they want to get their content. So I, I think that's that's the change that's going to continue. And then, it, then the change that's going to continue post that is price. So people are going to be able to get their content when they want their content and how they want their content, such as a podcast uh, talking about the, the fast starters uh, 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 that you put out. But the cost 
to get that content is going to be, I think, the big change. But, you know, I was talking to someone at Fox Sports the other day and the, the rights that they continue to pay for cricket or AFL, they're still, still enormous. And uh, the, 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 the two things have got to change in, 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 in the, that, that landscape for rights of content is either the, the rights have to come down or people are going to have to start paying for, for content. I noticed everyone kicked up a big stink um, about the cricket the other day, uh, not being on free-to-wear. Uh, you know, and we've obviously got the anti-siphing laws. If you go and read those in great detail, we should have got it for free, but because Fox went and bought it, we could. So a whole raft of different things are going on there. But they've gone and paid a heap of dough. They've got to somehow get that money back. So either t- t- two things need to happen. The cost of those sporting rights come back. I can't see that happening in any particular hurry because uh, there's enough competition. It's just how people consume it, whether it's bite-sized chunks, uh, taking subscriptions for one game, five games, not dissimilar how you buy tickets or memberships. So, you know, they're the sorts of changes that I start uh, uh, feeling, you know, are going to continue to happen. Content's becoming more bespoke. Um, so, you know, you, you can consume now content that's more and more relevant to your, to, to what, what you're after. Um, so, you know, it's, it's this world of, you know, world of uh, getting what you want when you want. Um, as opposed to, hey, we've got three free-to-air channels and uh, that's what you're stuck with. Uh, you know, I was involved in the launch of 1HD and it was exciting times back. Uh, it was the first first new TV station and it was a sports-based station uh, some 10 years ago. It's certainly changed what it is now, but you know, it was certainly exciting times back then. And you know, I think we've got exciting times moving forward in terms of the way we receive and, and use content. Now, I, I, the only other thing that I'd add there is, you know, CRM um, and marketing automation. You know, they, they become uh, from a from an owned asset uh, perspective for, for clients uh, becoming more and more important. So, having your own information. One thing we talk to our clients, you know, about is hey, we treat your money as if it's our own and uh, we spend we spend it wisely, we use our smarts to spend it in the right space. But one thing that we do talk to our clients about is that every time we're spending money, we should be trying to increase our own assets. And whether that's data, whether that's information, insights, all these various things that uh, uh, we can get our hands on today that we should be trying to increase our own knowledge of every time we spend a dollar. And my only concern in the marketing automation space or email distribution space is, you know, your inbox is starting to fill up and the content's got to start becoming more relevant, otherwise people will just hit the unsubscribe. So, you know, that, I think that's becoming a bigger channel. It's just what happens in that space that you don't become just white noise. So, yeah, there's a few different things going on, but I, I definitely think clients need to be looking at how they... Uh, control their own assets uh, and manage to increase their own assets and uh, uh, and their own content because people will want to engage in that you know content that's relevant to them. So that's how people are going to start consuming and and continue to consume more and more media. It's just might, might be brand focused as opposed to channel focus, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think as well going back to what you're saying about the sport, I think that's a fascinating example 
um, because in other things, in more general entertainment, there's a lot more competition around what you're going to watch. Like if there's a new movie or something on YouTube, it's sort of, if it's generally entertaining, it's sort of competing. But if someone wants to watch a sport and their team, there's only one sort of team and one sport that they're watching. So they can't sort of be pulled off that. It's really the competition for who owns the, the rights to that. Do you ever foresee like a really well-capitalized big sort of firm like, you know, Facebook and Amazon um, you know, coming in or Netflix even to try and buy sort of sports rights and capitalise on that sort of part of the media and content world? Yeah, so I'll, t- I'll take you back uh, a few years now. Um, when the IPL launched, uh, uh, YouTube actually bought the first ever rights to the IPL. Mm. So, uh, you know, these guys are all over it. They, they are heading down that path and they will be very much a part of that bidding process moving forward. Uh, I talked about the anti-siphoning uh, uh, list at the moment. I think that's prohibitive uh, and will take change to allow further competition in terms of acquisition and buying rights. I mean, you talk about AFL, I believe that'll head more down a uh, an NFL model where they'll, they'll own their own rights and push out their rights uh accordingly and own, own, own how you obtain those rights and, and what have you. So that's the thing that might happen in the, in the sport world. I mean, I, I, I refer, go back to just content in general, though, mate, um, and that is, you know, 10 years ago you'd watch a, uh, a, a two-part documentary series on uh, Channel 9, uh, you know, what have we had in the last few years, something like Hawk or... Um, uh, uh, what's, what was the one, the, you know, with Gina Reinhardt, um, uh, you know, two-part mini-series. You might get two and a half million people watching that at night, at night on, you know, on a free-to-air channel, um, you know, 10 years ago. Now you might get 1.1 million people watching it live. You might get 300,000 people watching it, you know, online at that time. You might get another 250,000 people watching it in catch-up. You, you know, all these various channels... Do you know what? They still get their two million viewers. Your issue, your issue as a network or a content distributor now is uh, you're only getting you're getting your sixteen to eighteen minutes an hour you know, in the free to air space uh, of advertising breaks. Whereas in your catch up, you're getting you know you might get uh, one 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 to two two thirty second spots every fifteen minutes. So your you, you advertising space is reduced in the online space, so you're having to either, do you know what, pay more to watch an ad in a series such as that uh, in the online space, or they're having to refine ways to reduce costs because they're not getting the big one million, the big two million viewers at the time of first launch. And it's no different to radio. So radio, you know, like you run a podcast, mate, and, and, you know, and, a, and a very successful one. That you know, radio stations now, uh, uh, you know, might have their hundred thousand listeners every morning, whereas they might have had one hundred and fifty. But there's now fifty thousand to eighty thousand podcasts, so their their audience has increased. So you know, it's how you how you get remunerated now for the content you're producing. That's changed dramatically. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good perspective. 
Um, so, so stepping back a bit outside of media and marketing, sort of more broadly in, in the entrepreneurial and business world in Australia, what, what trends do you see as things Australian businesses are doing well? And you've both worked overseas as well. And, and what trends do you think maybe or where's Australia lagging in entrepreneurship and new business growth? Australians, we're in a pretty ingenious bunch. So uh, we like to think of new ideas and new things and and, and test stuff. I think uh, probably one of the, the biggest challenges that, uh, I mean, and we already see it, is IP going overseas to get developed properly. Uh, and I think infrastructure of technology and support and resource to, to fuel that domestically is going to be really, really important. There's a lot of initiatives. You know, we, we talked about our Brisbane office, I think, with, uh, you know, and, and the culture in which we're developing that part of the business, uh, you know, is a real uh, almost hotspot of new business ideas, entrepreneurial thinking, ambitious minds collaborating. Uh, and that's, that's really healthy. Uh, I think where the opportunity for Australian business uh, really lies is making sure we don't miss that opportunity or miss fulfilling its potential. Uh, and I, I think that's going to be something, you know, at a government level that uh, we're going to, that the, the country is going to need to focus on a lot more of. Uh, so a lot more investment and incentivisation of business to develop not only its thought leadership to the point where it can then go off and, and cross borders internationally but get snapped up uh, internationally and ship offshore uh, but be retained here and retain the equity and, you know, the financial growth stays within the border of, of, of this country. So I think that's really, really important. Uh, we see that with uh, technology clients that we engage with who are it might be in a beta, beta mode of developing a product as it starts to get to... Uh, a level of commercial robustness, uh, the, uh, the prospect of it going offshore is, is, is almost more than likely in most cases that we have clients that we work with. Retaining that on here is going to be one of the key, key focus points, I think, for the future. Uh, and that's going to take both industry demanding that and driving that agenda, but government, I think, supporting it too. I mean, the, the other one, the other one, Derek, is we've got an office in Brisbane and it's, uh, you know, in, uh, I mentioned you earlier, River City Labs, which is like a WeWork station. And I was up there Thursday, Friday last week or Wednesday, Thursday, and just watching the, the various business operate and there's a whole stack of them in there. It's a couple of levels. There are hundreds of people in this, inside this, all, all smaller startups, uh, ranging from one employee on their own having a crack um, you know, to six or six to eight people um, uh, in, in this particular office. And they are doing some of the most extraordinary stuff uh, and really fascinating, uh, way off the charts thinking. But, you know, I think Scott's right in the sense of if there's cost savings at a startup mode to take things offshore, whether that, I know you prefer to have it on your doorstep and, uh, you know, far more controlling, you know, from a control perspective. So, you know, they're the, they're the risks, I think, for this country is that uh, uh, seeing more and more 
more and more opportunities move offshore because because of cost. Um, and you know, there's a stat out there that uh, about twelve percent of all, you know, twelve percent of Australians are involved in startups in some way, shape, or form, which is sort of in Asia about mid tier, you know, which is. Still, it's a lot of people, you know, one in ten almost, just over one in ten are involved in a startup in some way, shape or form, whether that be investment or what have you. That's a lot of people. So, you know, there's a real interest and a focus in this country, I think, to to support startups. Um, but I think there potentially could be more done, and I don't know if that's tax incentives or breaks or what have you, to make sure and give every opportunity for these businesses to get up, get over the line and get really going because they're only going to be, uh, the, I, I believe, long-term, probably the biggest employer of, uh, you know, of over-18s in this country moving forward. Yeah, and so do you see something in particular that could be done that would help, like you said, retain the sort of commercialisation and asset creation and intellectual property and, I guess, commercialisation, you'd say, within Australia? Like you mentioned tax break, cost reduction, anything else that you think is a barrier or an incentive Australia is lacking that, that's driving the ideas and the momentum once it's here into um, overseas markets? Yeah, I mean, there's, look, there's definitely grants out there. I mean, we've got one client that received a, you know, $250,000 grant, which at the time uh, was a was a heap of dough uh, to get cracking. But now that they've moved on and, uh, you yeah, know, they're probably needing, uh, uh, which is a really cool idea, this product, but, you know, they're probably needing a bit more injection. And so they're having to go to private equity or what have you, which is, hey, that's cool because, you know, they can... You know, mums and dads can potentially reap the awards if they go to the right private equity. You can invest and things like that. So there's grants out there. There are lots of different things. Look, I'm no tax specialist and uh, uh, what have you. But you know, we're 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 what 14 staff and uh, uh, you know in Sydney and four in four in Brisbane and. Uh, you know, getting hit by payroll tax and all these sorts of things that, you know, you've just tipped over these thresholds and all of a sudden you, everywhere you look, I feel like you seem to cop a whack for buddy creating jobs. Mm. And, uh, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if I didn't have to pay payroll tax, I'd be, you know, I'd be sitting there going, all right, how else do we put another person on that would potentially be in a, be in a, be in a job and, uh, and away you go. And I think that... Sometimes, sometimes tax is uh, a good thing because it keeps the keeps the uh, the country moving. But sometimes, if there's a look at reduction in tax, it actually puts more people in employment. So, you know, if there's potential tax breaks, you know, around startups, it gets people involved at an earlier stage. Do you know what? They might happen quicker. Uh, a and B, you know, more people are in jobs. Not that I, as I said, not that I'm any tax expert, but. Uh, uh, I'd love to see some some form of tax breaks or what have you for you know whether it's businesses in its first three to five years because you know, well they say most businesses you know fail within seven uh, you know, a heap fail within three and a heap fail within seven so yeah, the more the more we have still going up seven the more people are in jobs I'm assuming. Mm. And so again, looking back from a, a bigger picture sort of, again, you both had long careers in media and you're just sort of starting the next phase, so to speak, of your career as entrepreneurs and, and business owners and, and building up uh, BRWM. 
But what advice would you give your sort of 20-year-old self looking back now at the long sort of winding journeys that you've had career-wise and that you're still um, progressing through? Uh, have a crack. You know, there's, there's, if, you, if you don't ask the question, you never know, you know. So, but in, in doing so, the advice I'd love to, you know, continue to give anyone that's, uh, funny enough, I'm meeting a young guy tomorrow who's <laughs> exactly 20 and he's got a uh, uh, an app, app ID. Uh, he's, got, he's got himself 250000 uh, dollars in funding. He's run around and done that. Like he's a real, real go getter. This guy, and uh, you know, two two things: be responsible in the the, the way you approach any startup, uh, and think of people around you on the way through. Because if you burn the people around you on the way through, they won't be coming back and uh, and helping you uh, in later life. But you know, have, he's having a crack, and and, and you know, I. I, I I and Tomo, we love helping blokes like that that want to have a crack. Um, so don't don't hold back. And the only the only other thing is, I think there is an element of uh, you you do gain plenty of good experience working inside some larger firms along the way. So there mm. is there is absolutely credit and credit to the way these larger firms operate and the systems and the processes they've got set up. And you know, but. Sitting inside those, uh, I'll say thanks very much because you've taught us a lot, and and uh, don't, you know don't take that for granted when you do work for someone that's uh, uh, sitting inside these uh, you know bigger firms because you know you can take take away a lot that you can use in later life. I always always say when I work with people along the way, is, and I, I tell tell our staff that now is take the bit, take the best bits of every person you've worked for. And try and incorporate that into your own working life because you know you, we've all worked with some pricks along the way, and we've all worked with some great people. So grab a little bit of the best of everyone and try and incorporate that. And uh, you know they're, they're the they're the tips that I've sort of uh, tried to harness along the way, and, and not only that, pass on to you know blokes like who I'm meeting tomorrow. Excellent. Yeah. And how about yourself, Scott? Yeah, I think I probably did, did agree wholeheartedly with with what John was just saying. But probably the other thing just to add to it is knowing knowing your why. Uh, being able to, and that, that might be an emotional uh, uh, motivation, but when you know why you're going to embark on it, this journey, why you're going to be in uh, to what's a really challenging uh, world and environment, and uh, when, you, when you yourself know the answer and are confident in that answer, you kind of, that's, that's really that conviction that's behind the scenes that'll, that'll be the difference to, to making it a success, whatever success will look like for you. Um, and sometimes that comes with maturity and, and, and exposure, like what John was saying. You know, there's a wealth of experience that, that uh, we draw on uh, from from our exposure over the years in lots of different business environments, in big corporations and so on and so forth, and then little ones as well, and with clients that we've worked with. But um, the you know that that's helped sort of guide, I guess, uh, ourselves with an inner confidence to go and put ourselves out there, and 
Uh, and it kind of gives you that confidence uh, to, to, to know what you're doing is right and you're, you're, fine, you're, you're forging the right path uh, and one that uh, everyone you engage, the clients you engage with, they see that in you when you present, when you pitch, when you provide your rationale to why you recommend this as an as a opportunity for them. They see that and they feel that and that's a big difference in, uh, in making it uh, succeed. So back to, you know, if you're starting out and you have these aspirations, make sure you know that the answer to what's your why in uh, why you're making that, that decision and that choice to move. Yeah, and I think that's both really excellent perspectives and, and advice uh, for anyone. And so looking back at BRWM and, I mean, looking towards the future, what does the next five to ten years look like? Do you have any particular long-term vision or goals that you're looking to reach? Uh, Derek, I think in uh, uh, any, any business that you, you, you start up, you've, you've got to have uh, plans in place when you've got uh, uh, various shareholders involved and uh, what have you. But... For, for, for us, we've, we've got some very firm goals and, and, and focuses over the next three years that uh, uh, we, we want to achieve. And uh, I think I think anything post uh, three years is just starting to uh, uh, get get a bit too far out for us at this point in time. We've certainly got goals that we want to be. Still here in ten years, you know. I know what I do. I love what I do, and I think Tomo's the same. Um, so you know, we're we're certainly very comfortable in doing what we're doing, and, and, and enjoy waking up and coming to work every day. But you've got we we sit down and uh, uh, assess each year. Uh, but it's important to give yourself uh, you know three year goals, uh, which we've got uh, you know, KPIs for the business to go and set out and achieve and. Uh, you know, it's not just necessary about how many staff you want, or you know, but certainly revenue revenue goals help help drive our KPIs of where we want to be. We'd like to be on the list again next year. We're chatting to you next year, mate. Yeah, uh, and I'd love to have uh, you back as well. Yeah, uh, you don't have to lie to me, mate. It's all right. <laughs> uh, but uh, we, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're the sort of uh, short term goals. I think you can get a bit too far ahead of yourself, much further than that. Uh, in, a, in a startup, but I think it's very important that uh, you know you continue to surround yourself with uh, good people, good culture, um, and uh, smart, responsible business that uh, uh, allows for uh, people to grow. I think that's really important and to promote within, and uh, you know they're all the sort of uh, KPIs that we've got in place and. Uh, uh, continue to live by our, our values and our guiding principles, which we have as a business, and uh, you know they're, they're, they're all the things that are really important to us that we like to, I suppose, project onto the team around us and uh, uh, and have them involved in making you know some of those decisions along that journey as well. Yeah, one, one thing to add to it is is and it's, it's a fundamental uh, belief. Uh, and you know, we've got it as a standing testament on the wall in our business is that insight leads change. It's one thing for certain that you know the next 12 months, the next week, uh, and, and and well beyond is is it's going to be different. It's going to change. Uh, we're going to constantly evolve uh, 
the systems, the support, the processes. We won't stay fixed with, okay, we've got it to a point. There we go. If we're happy with that now, continue on the same, same, doing the same thing. Because uh, probably one, one of the other quotes uh, that we've got up on the wall is Einstein's uh, quote uh, on the definition of insanity being, you know, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So at the heart of our, of our business is change, but the other part to it, which is fundamentally important, is that insight's leading it. So as technology develops, we'll be harnessing data and the new way data is presented to be more useful and guide thinking better. Uh, we'll be constantly immersing and pursuing ourselves in that. So technology is going to be a big growth area for the business uh, and utilising and, and leveraging bigger and bigger data sources, but getting control of those and able to leverage them in an insightful way is going to be a key key development aspect for the business because that's going to lead change, lead change, which is going to be positive change. And it's positive change in the business. So we will have very different skill sets emerging uh, in our business, probably ones that haven't been defined yet. Uh, uh, that will come on board and we will shape and grow. Um, and with that, uh, that's going to be the, the fuel that's going to equip us to engage clients, build deeper relationships uh, with them across their entire businesses, not just, say, within traditional agency-client relationships in a marketing department, but right across the thought leadership of the business, uh, right the way through to the implementation of marketing communications activity. The other, the other interesting thing, Gary, is you know, the whole thing about automation and what goes on in that space in our world. And, mm-hmm. uh, we're constantly uh, seeing, I would say, media suppliers trying to go down the whole automation, in particular from a buying perspective. You know, we, do, we do a heap with Google, we do a heap with Facebook, we do a heap with various programmatic platforms and, you know, we're, they're, they're basically robots, uh, you know, from a trading perspective. Yes, the information of what you're trying to get out of it has still got to be put in by someone. Um, so I don't believe our side of the fence, you know, uh, is going to go too heavy in the automation space. I think, uh, uh, I, ve- I very much think it is hard for a robot to think. So, you know, a lot of our work is done around uh, uh, finding solutions to problems. You know, we pride ourselves on being a solutions agency. Uh, as opposed to a media or a marketing agency, we, we, we're here to help solve problems. We just use media marketing as a as a platform or a vehicle to do so. So thinking is going to be paramount to, I think, the success of our business and and also the failure of automation in our business. So I think there'll be elements that may automate, but you know, I just don't see it uh, on our side of the fence. Or what we do is is going to affect us. So. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting one that with you've got two kids, uh, you know, going through school at sort of uh, 12 and 12 and 8, uh, what they do in the years to come and hopefully ho- hopefully they've got a, got a role in here one day maybe. Yeah, that's no, a really good sentiment. And um, do, do you ever see yourself getting involved in the marketing tech sort of creation to create an insights or an analytics or, or some sort of automation that's not yet there that you would need? Or becoming in that space of the product creation? Uh, Been there, done that. (laughs) Uh, And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, a a former 
former partner in, in another business where I was. Uh, he used to call it the kids' swimming pool. We, we, we threw a whole heap of money at it around a reporting platform that over time uh, Google ended up through the Google Analytics platform uh, putting various uh, uh, abilities within Google Analytics to put in media such as your TV reports and what have you. So all of a sudden, here we were as a small business some time ago trying to have a crack at competing with Google in terms of uh, uh, MarTech and technology and reporting. The, the products out there now for businesses of our size are robust enough. What you actually need is the operator and mm. someone that completely understands it uh, and how to use those systems and the way. We're getting asked more and more around advice around what marketing automation platform should we use for a business of our size? What CRM platform should we be using in business our size? And I believe our business is starting and we're, we're, we've already, we're already moving down the path in marketing automation, uh, having someone in house that does that for us. Um, funny enough, my wife's a, and my wife uh, is in the CRM world and her, her, her world and my world's collided in the last 18 months, unfortunately for her. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I never thought that I'd be talking about CRM, but it's, you know what, it's data, it's information about individuals and customers with inside a business who we're trying to send a message to, to, you know, they, hey, do this. So the more information we know about customers, which sits inside a CRM, the more knowledge we've got how to go and target like people uh, uh, in our marketing message to find more of them. So, you know, I, I, I think there's... Uh, I think stick to what you know and what you're good at and let, let developers go down that path and develop. Uh, I don't think I'd be having another crack at uh, <laughs> uh, the kids' swimming pool, so to speak. Yeah, so thank you so much, John and Scott, for coming on this show. Are there any final words you'd like to leave the audience with? Mate, the only, the only, my final words to say uh, good on you for getting out there and having a, a, a good yarn with... Uh, people having a crack and uh, you know trying to try to uh, uh, employ and uh, uh, provide different solutions to to you know the business world out there uh, and letting people know about them. I think that's awesome that you're doing that, mate. And uh, uh, all, all 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 kudos to you. Uh, and uh, mate, I look forward to hearing uh, uh, this and many more podcasts and. Uh, down, down the track. Thanks, John. Really appreciate it. Thank, thank you, Derek. Really, really appreciate it too. And uh, we hope that uh, all your listeners have, have gathered some insight which is meaningful and uh, helpful to them in their journey. Yeah, and I think we covered lots of good ground and a really impressive story of, of what you've been able to build and even just, yeah, two friends being in business as well is um, also a great story. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you for listening. I would really appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and leave a review. Better yet, tell a friend about it who you think may enjoy the content and get something useful out of it. Feedback, comments, likes or dislikes, you can reach me by emailing Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at futureofaustralia.com or you can call or text me on 0404 689 897. Thank you.